Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, this episode's a bit special. By popular demand, we're doing a uh, festive Yuletide edition, repeating the formula from the previous episode, with guests being John, Daki, Sean, and myself, Nick. Now, uh, we put out a few feelers for topics and subjects and questions we could answer, and uh, got a fair few interesting ones. Now, I'd like to welcome, uh, to start off with, John and Daki. Sean will be joining us a bit later. And uh, Daki, you have a question to set us off. Oh yeah, so um, ask for submissions um, from my, well, from people that follow me on Instagram. And uh, one of my favorite ones was about uh, what would we wear if we were uh, Santa Claus? And that was submitted by Ilya uh, Ilcuts on Instagram. On the sort of off chance they don't follow him, definitely check him out. He has a great feed. He also has a great beard, so I think he's off to a good start as a Santa. <laughs> True. He even has the kids. He is basically Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, so is that the question answered or...? <laughs> <laughs> Done. Next one. <laughs> okay, John, I think you can... Uh... Yeah, I do. Yeah, with your Try niece it. interest, John, I'm, I'm expecting something incredible from you. Well, I, I, I'd, I'd be stuck with the Santa Claus living in the North Pole, whether I'd go full Arctic survey from the 1940s bonkers Ventile Explorer gear or go traditional in furry capes and big beards. And I don't know where, where I'd sit with it, to be honest. And I don't know if you could combine those two together and just have a big furry cape over the top of a mountaineer's outfit. That would be my, my take so far. Boots! That was the other thing. I was trying to work out, you know, crampons to go across the ice. Obviously, would you be wearing engineer biker boots because you're on a sleigh being pulled at vast speeds by Blitz and, and the rest of them. I can't remember the other 12, Blitz and Splits and Donner and Dancer and all those guys. I don't know. It was it was a real thing. And obviously you need beard balm, though, because that beard must get dry. All those, you know... All that headwind. There's got a lot of hair care products. Santa Claus, secretly, Vidal Sassoon, he's all the way. He, there's a lot of hair care going on about that. I'm getting some weird images here. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it comes down to a bit which version of popular Santa lore or imagery you sort of subscribe to. Uh, I was looking at one yesterday, which was the typical Coca-Cola Santa, which obviously is a very sanitized and uh, dapper version. But for me, growing up, I mean, S Santa could as easily be a sort of woodland um, gnomic figure wearing boiled wool and uh, having no fashion aspect at all. Where, where would you be, Ducky? I Well, so when I was thinking about this, originally, I was sort of full utilitarian, sort of mega technical acronym, if anyone knows the, I mean, you, People might know the brand. If, if not, definitely look uh, acronym up and then um, take a deep breath as you're looking through the prices. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Santa Claus, you know, modern times, he'll be like mega techie, ready for all eventualities, 100 million pockets, um, you know, every kind of uh, removable flap you can think of because, you know, he has to go through all sorts of, con you know, um, climate conditions so i was thinking you might have those like you know things where you the arm comes off or you know those 
very cool dad trousers that can be turned into shorts, that sort of thing as well. Ooh, nice one, yeah. <laughs> I'm now thinking like a siren suit. I saw some images recently of um, a siren suit from the 30s, 40s that had zip-on um, pockets and zip-on flaps to turn it into a Norfolk jacket and a hunting outfit. Which I was kind of like, that's super forward, forward thinking. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm gone from my hunting outfit in my tweeds, zip, zip, zip. I'm in a boiler suit ready to do some serious repairs to the sleigh. Yeah. Would, would Santa have enough time to be searching through 100 million pockets and so forth, though? I mean, there is a, he is on a quite a tight schedule. The thing is, you think, I mean, Santa is a perfect person, right? So, even though he has 100 million pockets, he won't be like me, you know, looking through each and every one of them to find his headphones. He'll know exactly which one has what item in it. So he'll know, you know, straight away, oh, yeah, that's pocket number 78. Go for that one and then pick it out. Mm, yeah. So he also appreciates some, some engineered garments or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. That's super tech. Well, I, I, I was also hoping because obviously – you know, Santa Claus, as we talk about him, 25th and all that sort of What about Santa Claus and all that sort of thing? And the, I, I, my, my favourite is obviously Krampus Nacked. So I was kind of like, yeah, maybe we could dress like the Krampus, just to scare the living Isn't that, like, I, casually racist? <laughs> Wasn't there, like, a whole thing of that being removed from yeah, even the yeah, Dutch culture? Yeah, it has been a large part of, you know, children being taken off to Spain by certain ethnic minorities. May have been a, but I did, I did, I did, I did Nick, feel like, free to edit this bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was, I'm just wondering, I thought Krampus was sort of like the anti-Santa. Well, there's, there's lots of stuff that all gets... the, the 20, Santa Claus, the 25th, the Dutch version. Obviously, the naughty children get taken off by the Africans to Spain, which, you know, might not actually be that bad. And then I scared my kids with Santa with um, the Krampus the other year and, and pointed out to my son when he was about seven or eight, which probably slightly cruelly, that it's not Santa Claus that comes down the chimney, it's Satan's claws if you're really naughty. So, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you give your kids gift cards for therapy. <laughs> therapy vouchers for the next 20 years. You sorted your present out. But, yeah, no, no, I just, I just thought that there, obviously there are different cultural bits with Santa. And, you know, I initially started off looking at, obviously, you know, your Coca-Cola Santa and then went, well, actually, you all tied Santa with some of the cool Victorian outfits with lots of capes and fur were quite cool. And then obviously went down my own track of kind of technical Santa like you have, but more, more ventile. Oh, just throw more ventile on, more ventile. Oh, don't get Nick started on that. That's that's a trigger. That's a trigger for oh, Nick. Oh, yep, yep. Real ventile, not not the modern stuff, not the Chinese stuff, or the American version, and the nice the Swiss. The, the, not the Swiss one either, because that's all been a bit fitted with these days. Isn't it? I, I I was talking about traditional British ventile from donkey's years back. Yeah. It's odd, though, that uh, none of the sort of big brands we think of actually make any Santa gear. Is it because it's really only wearable one or two days a year? I think you can get into the whole discussion about Christmas jumpers, even. I mean, I'm I'm sort of Ooh. against them. I'm, you know, most of the stuff is just acrylic crap. You can't even wash it because it has, like, some battery element to it. It's, it's like, it's, you know... I'm, I'm, I don't know what I think of it. If you get like a nice vintage whatever woolen sweater or you get something modern and you're willing to invest in it and willing to wear it more than, let's say, twice a year, then maybe. But all that stuff is a bit it's, landfill, it's, isn't it? 
It's terrible. I, we, we're very lucky. My, my night, which is 96 now, my 96-year-old grandmother knits us all every year a family matching set of um, Christmas jumpers. And she's done it since my kids have been born. So everybody, in the, you know, every year we have a different photograph of us all in our grandma-knitted, hand-knitted wow. um, Christmas and, jumpers. And you have a room in your mansion to store uh, we have our, our, <laughs> all these there jumpers. Is, there is a box. There's a special box, a sealable box that goes in the loft after Christmas every year with Granny's jumpers in. But there are a lot of them. You know, we obviously, there's, you know, four of us now and uh, four of us for the last 10 years. That's a lot of jumpers. But I agree, Ducky, that the acrylic um, Christmas jumpers are a huge problem. And it's one of these cases where people know they are a problem, but decide to sort of disregard it completely because they are acrylic. And yes, some of them have batteries and electronics in them. Uh, they're as bad as the sort of fleeces, polyester fleeces that are currently in vogue again. Mm. The, the only well, thing I- I'd say with the fleece is at least you have a chance to actually wear it several times before you wash it. Uh, and also you wear it several times before you throw it out, whereas some of these Christmas jumpers, they're literally just bought for you know an office party and then thrown out the next day. Yeah, stick it on, take a photo, ha, 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 and in, in the bin it goes, or maybe for next year. Shredding microplastics all the way. But there seems to be this terrible, terrible trend for the Christmas suit thing now as well that seemed to be appearing at office parties, which is massively cringeworthy, which is kind of like taking the Christmas jumper to the next level. It's a full-on... Christmas suit made for you know they're about five at a buy. They're not expensive, but they are obviously just made of plastic. So you mean what, like a, a normal suit, but in sort of Christmassy colours? I'm um, not just Christmas, like Christmassy patterns. Uh, Google them. There are hundreds. They are the okay. possibly worst novelty item in the universe because they 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 serve no purpose other than the one Christmas party a year where you may get to fondle a secretary or something. That that the, the production is you know, worse than the Christmas jumper. And and I, they are just, yeah, they're just, you know, I've just quickly Googled 49 quid. You can get a three-piece Christmas jumper with Santa Claus and pies and all sorts of fistif- lovely, wonderful on it. And it glows and flashes and it's double vented and button cuffed and all sorts of amazing things about it, apparently. So, but, so uh, let's solve this problem for people. What should people wear? for Christmas parties and, you know, because you want to still be Christmassy and do all the sort of Christmas jumpery things and be able to participate in the social aspect of that. I completely get that. I don't think you can dismiss the value of that. But um, how would we go about solving that? I I feel like such a Grinch for even saying it, but does the clothing actually have to be Christmas themed? Uh, I mean, speaking as a person who doesn't actually have a three-piece suit, I I do have what could be three-piece suits by buying separates but i don't know i mean as long as you look tidy does it really matter i i think that's probably fair i i don't like christmas i'm really grinchy but i i have a a really old tie from one of the old fishing shooting companies i don't know which one it is it's farlows or cordings and it's a, a red tie with green snowflakes on that i break out for every single christmas party because that's my concession to being christmasy i mean a comedy tie is always, you know, always tops the list, I reckon. <laughs> you can hardly go wrong with a comedy it's, tie. It's more tasteful than the comedy tie, but it's, it's pretty much on those lines. But yeah. Does it have a button that plays Jingle Bells? That... I, I only wish it did. And I may now go and try to find one of those. 
or for the Christmas party, I won't be going to because we're locked down anyway. But yeah, no, I'm no, no. That's a relatively sensible investment, actually, you know, because you will get to wear that. And I mean, come on, dozens of people will think it's hilarious every time you pull that out. I know I will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, catch, I catch myself looking up in my clothes rack here and I see the the Christmas um, waistcoat I made a few years ago. So I was actually lying when I said I didn't have any Christmas festive clothes at all. Um, so I do know that my Christmas waistcoat does really get the party started. <laughs> you sound- I hear sniggering in the background there. <laughs> And that, and that's what Nick tells himself every Christmas so he can keep wearing the waistcoat. Your waistcoat brings all the boys to the yard, Nick. Um, damn it. <laughs> You're really killing it for me now, guys. <laughs> uh, okay, so what I would say is I, I like I like um, John's idea. I think the other thing you could go with is Christmas socks. That's a relatively sort of low entry. But, you know, I'm still in on it, guys. Have a look. Isn't this hilarious? Look, Santa Claus socks or whatever. But the other thing I think you can do is go for something like Feral or like Icelandic um, that's like sort of Christmassy and passes as a Christmas jumper. But actually, it's just a nice wintry jumper that you can wear, you know, more than once during uh, that sort of colder months. It's nice and colourful. Yeah. And I think that makes it festive. So what's your Christmas outfit then, Ducky? I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm very low on the Christmas bit. I mean, anytime it's a Christmas office thing, like I, you know, I, I don't do the funny, uh, I don't know, outfit or whatever. Even though maybe that maybe people that follow me would think that I would. Um, so I, th- these are things that I would tend to do. It would just be either some sort of a vintage jumper that has enough colors in it. Um, like I have an Icelandic one, uh, mohair that sort of is you know Christmassy enough. And then I wear some Christmas socks, and then I can show people. Look, I'm still in on the joke, guys. I'm still fun, but <laughs> but I'm trying not to add to the landfill. Uh, if I'm, I can, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking though that if you prance hard enough, it's like every day is Christmas. This is true. This is true, and that's that's the thing for me. You know, I don't have to demonstrate it on any specific day. I, I live this. This up. is a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Did we actually conclude on what Santa would wear or what we would wear as Santa? I don't think we sort of came to any agreement, did we? There were a lot of options, I think. I'm I'm going for, I'm I'm decided now. I I think I'm I'm going for big fur hat, duffel coat, roll neck sweater, knee high boots, ventile Kinky boots. They're not kinky, you know, I I mean, I'm (laughs) engineer's boots, biker boots, that sort of thing. You need wellies, Santa needs wellies. It's the thing that he has. Yeah. Well, not if he's going to Australia, and that was my point. At some point, he's going to have to kick those boots off. He's going to be sweating. I, just... I swear he still wears the same outfit. Just his skimpy <laughs> swimsuit. I can't imagine... One of those Father... Borat ones. Yeah, that was yeah. Father Christmas in like, a Borat thing with yeah, and, and thong flip-flop thing. It's not right. He's, he's going to be a big, fat, jolly man. It's going a bit Blue Oyster bar with a... Father Christmas with a big beard, and uh, no, it's an image I've got in my head now that I can't get rid of. Well, I'll I'll, cons- I'll concede the ground then. Um, and actually, there there's a there was a question that we could nicely sort of um, follow on from this. As um, there was a question um, about whether we would wear uh, more modern Gore-Tex type stuff or more natural sort of um, traditional. Um, 
wax-based things when it comes to keeping uh, warm and dry. And um, that was a question that uh, I got from uh, Forum Follows Function uh, Tech on Instagram. And I just had another shout out. Like, that's one of the best feeds on Instagram, I'll, I'll just say. If you haven't um, checked him out, definitely, definitely check him out. Uh, he has a sort of a vintage one, which is Form Follows Function, and then he has the tech version, which is Form Follows Function Tech. Both really, really good feeds. Okay, so high-tech, modern, synthetic developments versus old tech, um, old proven technology perhaps uh, more sustainable, uh, maybe not as hyped, not as functional. Um, I have to admit, I'm not really taken by the, the Gore-Tex. I mean, Gore-Tex now is vintage. What was it 1980s technology? Didn't, didn't Rob Gore die this year? The chap that I think he did, yeah. yeah. Um, so modern, uh, I mean, Gore-Tex isn't really modern anymore. There must be stuff that is way more modern than that, but... I think man has yet to perfect uh, a fabric, outer fabric, that actually does what it promises, i.e. letting um, damp air from the inside out and stopping wet coming in. And I think, uh, for me, really, wax cotton and the developments of that does as good a job as um, modern stuff. And that said, probably the worst of them all is bonded cotton, i.e. the Macintosh fabric. Yeah, that's the sweatiest thing in the world. It's awful. It's good for it's good if you're out in a rainstorm and then you can just take it off, but after that it's useless. It's uh, if you're doing anything at all strenuous, it is horrible because it's as wet on the inside as on the outside. I've I've got an old I've a similar sort of line I've I occasionally wear when it's raining very hard, a um dispatch riders jacket from the forties. Which is a similar sort of thing. It's, it's bonded, rubberized cotton, and it's brilliant for keeping the rain out. But I, you can't wear it for more than a couple of hours, or you are literally, as you said, as wet on the inside as the outside. And you kind of go, well, there were so many better options. I don't understand kind of why some of these things took off as well as they did. And I was talking to old, one of the old men in our village is a was a dispatch rider, and he was so impressed when he got his uh, barber suit. So he got one of the first barber international suits back in. Second World War time that he replaced the old dispatch riders gear with, and he said it was, you know, it completely changed his outlook and how he he rode his bike and made his day really, and it completely changed with that sort of tech. I still because I'm I'm relatively outdoorsy. I I I vary a lot on what I'm doing. So I've been up mountains in, you know, pre fifties ventile wool and stuff like that and i get on with that better than i have doing the similar thing in gore-tex to be honest i i never really got with the i got with the layering but i have a personal distaste of fleece fleece the cot the texture of fleece puts my teeth on edge makes my teeth edge itch which is a weird thing that's but the kind of your standard base layer these days you've got your shell coat made of gore-tex or pertex or one of those sort of things a fleece a base layer of murano wool and yeah, I, I've never really got on with it. And I, I tend to still stick with, you know, if I'm not doing anything too strenuous, I wear an old wax jacket because old wax jackets seem to be much more waterproof and rip-proof and everything's stop-proof than the newer versions. If I'm doing anything actually properly outdoorsy and, not, you know, as I said, I, I've got mountains and I, I run around beaches and I do camping with the kids, I tend to wear older, possibly re-waterproofed um, 
ventile. And if I'm just in the cold, I tend to wear wool and tweed. And I've kind of missed Gore-Tex. I've used Gore-Tex. I, 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 you know, there are things with Gore-Tex in that are quite good, but I've never really got on with it as a fabric. And the more modern stuff, the, the Pertex and things, just seem to either sweat, crimple, um, aren't rip-proof enough, don't stop thorns, don't stop me wearing out elbows and ripping. Even the rip-stop versions tend to get holes in quite quickly, whereas things like wax and tweed, that kind of easier repairable, easier darnable. And... Um, yeah, I, I prefer, I guess. There was an important point in what you said there, John, among all the other important points, of course, and that was what are what is the purpose? What are you using it for? And I can imagine a dispatch mm. rider's jacket, if you're sitting on a motorcycle driving around, you're not actually sort of generating much sweat. Yep. Mm. This is spoken as someone who's never ridden a motorcycle, of course. Uh, but... If you're wearing a dispatch rider's jacket, say, around uh, doing your Christmas shopping in and out of shops, building up quite a sweat, getting properly frustrated, full of um, loathing of mankind and so forth, I can imagine it could be quite bad. Yeah, and I totally agree. There, there are, it is definitely horses, of course, as I was trying to say. So, yeah, like if I'm in snow, I'm generally wool. If it's really cold snow, so your neck of the woods or, you know, northern Europe, I tend to do down-lined things and wool. Um, but yeah, for the UK, if it's wet, it's generally either ventile or wax cotton. With with bonded cotton, the one thing I'd say is a big disadvantage in some ways. I mean, it depends how you look at it. Is also that it's really not pliable. I mean, it's really really stiff. So I don't understand how they would you know would sit on a motorcycle and have these you know hard folds everywhere and you know barely be able to move around. That must have been very uncomfortable. I think it was just, you know, they were literally just sitting there and going as quickly as possible from A to B. The, the trousers that go with the jacket are virtually unwearable because it is like putting on cardboard. Yeah. So, and, like, heavy denim then? And... Uh, worse, because heavy denim eventually, you know, folds and fades and you break in, whereas this stuff never breaks in. And if it does break in, the only way you've broken it in, you've actually destroyed the waterproofing. Yeah, you made a hole in it, yeah. And then it's completely pointless. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a funny old bond of God. You know, I, it's one of the questions that came up as well. Has anybody looked good in a Mac since the 1940s? And I'm pretty sure they haven't. Or a trench coat. A trench coat, that's kind of what I mean by a Mac. But, yeah, and it's kind of like they, they, they don't seem to work for me. I, I can't – I've tried to wear Macs with – and they just never look right. They don't look right casually. They don't. They bulk out over suits. I don't get it. So, so one thing I think that, and that actually, this is one of the advantages of bonded cotton is that because of the stiffness, it can look really nice and drapey. You know, it gives you a silhouette. So I think that could be one of the advantages to it. So that's why, like, you know, just the traditional Mac, or if all you're doing is, you know, walking up uh, sort of a, a high end. Uh, so the high street or whatever and you just want to look cool for 30 seconds and you're not really breaking a sweat then it looks you can look really cool but it's not the most practical thing otherwise well that is a valid point i mean there are a lot of garments around that don't really do both practical and looking good and uh i don't get the whole thing with suits really i mean do suits are they always the most comfortable and wearable stuff I realise I'm sort of going out on thin ice here. I think but... some of some of my 
Savile Row suits are like suits of armour and do hold you in a certain way. So in that respect, they're probably not the most comfortable. I wouldn't want to ride a bicycle in it or climb a mountain in it. But for standing in an office and sitting in an office, it's fine. But yeah, I, I kind of get that that... But then suits have become more relaxed over the you know, last few years. People don't tend to wear very stiffly tailored, military tailored stuff that hold you in a certain way to make you look smart. That's not almost the purpose of the suit anymore. There's also the thing about like there's a trade-off between comfort when sort of idle versus comfort when moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially with, you know, things that uh, don't have stretch in it, you know, there's a real trade-off there. Uh, so things that are very, very loose uh, and great for moving around in, fine. But when you're sort of just sitting around, you really want all these layers of, you know, big uh, oversized fabric that gets a bit annoying. And then vice versa. Sometimes if you want something a bit streamlined and looks nicer and you, so it's tight, fine. But then you can't really move around in it as much. So, I mean, that's what suit seems like a good sort of middle place. I guess it's good, but it all depends on how it's cut as well. I think going back to the sort of modern Gore-Tex products and stuff, I mean, a lot of that is to do with streetwear, isn't it? Uh, and sort of high-tech modern streetwear where the silhouette, where the cut is very um, important. And the tech fabrics sort of allow odd things to be done, especially especially within modern knit technology now, where they're doing 3D knitting. And you, I mean, it's amazing what can be done. Yeah, no, I, I had a suit from Nanamica a little while ago that was a wool and polyester blend outer and pertex gore-tex lined to make it waterproof and windproof and stuff it kind of worked but kind of didn't it was it was an indi- i it felt a bad combination of structured tailoring and sportswear they didn't quite get it right and it never felt like one or the other and it never fulfilled the purpose of either properly so it was kind of too casual to be a proper suit and looked a bit incongruous in office environments. And as a piece of sportswear, it was obviously too suited to actually do anything practical. It was quite good on rainy days walking from the car to the office because it was waterproof. But other than that, it didn't quite... And it held a silhouette and held a shape, and it, it, it was a reasonable-looking piece of gear, but it just didn't... Yeah, it's that... It's, going back to the, the, the form of action function thing, all the Fs, isn't it? You, you've got the form... Oh, I- and the I think that was intended for this mythical person who has a James Bond lifestyle, because I have seen a Norwegian brand that sort of attempts the same thing, where one your one pair of trousers, your one suit jacket, really do cover any eventuality in your lifestyle as an international uh, man of uh, importance and action and mission and so forth. Where, whereby one minute you'll be charging through a jungle, the next you'll be up on a mountaintop. After that, you'll be sipping champagne with supermodels. That's Tuesday for me. Every Tuesday. That's pretty Oh, every Tuesday. Right. Well, you shouldn't have sold on that jacket then, should you? <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think that's what they're aiming for. It's this sort, of, this sort of multi-purpose action lifestyle that, in reality, they might be struggling to find the customers. Maybe, but yeah, and it, it, I, it just it was it was a good, I guess a good stab at using the modern fabrics, which is kind of where we were starting off with. You know, do you go all out for the moderns and the clever stuff, or do you go back to a more classic thing? I, you know, I'd say the one thing about Gore-Tex because I've 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 tried various things. One thing about Gore-Tex that I think is uh, hard to beat is that it's fairly lightweight. So in comparison to 
all the sort of waxy stuff. Um, I haven't tried dry wax. That's one thing I'm quite keen on. It's it's, but yeah. So that's the one thing about Gore-Tex. The fabric doesn't have to be very heavy. It's a good sort of top layer for things like uh, down. You know, so it 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 has definitely some some really good characteristics. I'd say the one the one thing that um I know you, you, I'll trigger you both by saying is that I like the idea of wax jackets, and I have had a couple in the past, and I still have one um, that's sort of stored away. But it's the the smell and the sort of oiliness that gets off on everything that does put me off, and that's one thing Gore-Tex doesn't have. Now you can lose <laughs> your minds and shout at me for the next 30 minutes. Don't worry. My wife makes me put my wax jackets in the shed. I'm not allowed to keep them in the house because they smell so bad. So, you know, I, it's something I live with. Now, we've never quite got to the bottom of why wax jackets can smell bad because I don't think it's the wax themselves. I think it's just sort of accumulated dirt of generations because a new one doesn't actually smell bad. Uh, it just smells waxy, and that's quite a pleasant smell. Well, it still uh, smells, though. That's the thing, isn't it? It still has like a weird, like there aren't many items of clothing that you put on, and then you're conscious of the smell, regardless of whether it's sort of like good or bad or neutral. Like the fact that you're conscious of it, it is a thing to know. It's a sort of paraffin smell or oily smell, I guess. But um, old ones, or as we call them, experienced ones. <laughs> oh no. Are very very much worse. I mean, some of them must have been used as bedding at a pig farm, but oh, mine, mine still are. The dogs use it as bed, and it's perfectly serviceable. It warms it up before you put it on. It makes it nice and soft. Yeah, Jesus Christ! <laughs> straight into the straight into the NHS you go with that jacket. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. It's clinical environments stinking away with dog hair all over me. People dead, but, it's like... no. but no, I've, I've, it's. Stink, the stinkiest thing, which is probably slightly gross, is uh, coming from the wax jacket hunting field and that sort of old tweeds. So tweed, particularly woven in the Hebrides and out that way, and old Harris and things like that. The dye was fixed with uh, horse urine. So that's why old tweeds smell. People often say, you know, the previous owner of my vintage suit had bad BO or had an incontinence problem. Actually, the fixing agent in your dye. And they still smell if they get wet and hot. And it's you, there's something you just can't do about. So that's, you know, tip for anybody. If your suit smells slightly wee, it's probably old. And it's been fixed with horses. It's a dehydrated horse. Mm. So, so here we're seeing a massive advantage in modern technical fabrics. There's no horse urine or <laughs> horse urine, no no funky smells. What about uh, dry wax? Have you? What do you think of that in comparison to uh, your old regular wax? Is it is it just that the visuals are sort of not quite as good, or what do you like? Yeah. What do you think of? I it? think there's there's so many types of dry wax now. I mean, you have dry wax that where the visual maybe isn't as good but it really just looks like new old wax but then i mean they're doing so much with the technology now it's quite remarkable really because wax cotton has been around for at least 100 years if not quite a bit more but recently both british millerain and Halley stevenson have really upped the development so dry wax and you've got the I just got a jacket in a 16 ounce desert wax uh, rustic finish which is brilliant because the tan colour is great, a nice alternative to the olive, and 
it kind of looks patinated right out of the packet. Mm. So it's it's brand new, but it looks quite lived in. So it's sort of scoring on all points. And that's just a case of developing a rustic finish fabric. There's lots of the, 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 the tech. I The thing I've noticed with white jackets is the weight of the base fabric is now lighter and lighter and lighter. And they are therefore less rigid, less tough, and very often less warm and waterproof. And that's that's my main complaint with more of the, the modern waxed jackets. They are... right. I have a qualified uh, opinion on that, and that is that uh, around 15 years ago, uh, at least one of the major makers, uh, i.e. users of waxed cotton, um, in an effort to save money, increase profits, um, put quite strong limitations on how much they were willing to pay for their fabrics, which I believe would have made the fabrics of a lesser quality and certainly lighter weight. But it's a real issue. I, I can't, you know, you can't buy a modern wax jacket that stays waterproof and windproof for very long. Whereas, you know, my 50 year old Solway is still going strong. It's got a couple of holes in it. The storm cuffs are gone, but I've just went out on a dog walk and it bucketed down and didn't get wet. I wear my three or four year old jacket from the same manufacturer. I think we're talking about, and I'm wet at every single seam within 10 minutes. It could also be the case that your 50-year-old Solway is, at the moment now, more wax than actual fabric. Yeah, there's probably, it's probably <laughs> an element to that now. Probably an element. And the, the wall line is certainly quite greasy from that as well, so it's probably double wax as opposed to a single wax jacket. Mm, insulated with human fat on the inside. It's, it's revolting. And, and dog hair. Between the human hair. fat and the horse urine. Yeah, I totally understand why you guys love it so much. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's personalised it to me. It's definitely my thing. Yeah. I think what we're talking about here is style as a social distancing technique. What? Or what jacket would Hannibal Lecter wear? I think we found the answer. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I, think we, I think we need a new topic now, <laughs> if anyone is still listening. Okay. Uh, 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 Daki, you had uh, uh, another one, I think. I did. Um, so there was one about, and uh, John, I'm, I, f- I feel like you'll you'll be the king of this topic. Um, the question was about uh, shoes, shoe brands that are maybe featured in sort of niche world of heritage, but should be more, um, uh, I guess, visible or appreciated. Uh, and that was from uh, Waz. 2M, I think it's Wazim, on Instagram. So, yeah, niche brands of shoes, John, that sounds like right up your alley. Well, obviously with my my recent foray with uh, good old John Moore as a shoe designer, that's um, right on my street. But there there are lots of heritage shoe brands and boot brands, particularly in the UK and seemingly in the States now, that are making really great shoes that get overlooked and I'm having a great conversation recently with some Americans about boots, uh, particularly, you know, the likes of Red Wing and Whites, um, Viberg, those guys in comparison to their British counterparts and their now ownership. So out of the American brands, nearly all the major American brands of work boot that are very fashionable are owned by Japanese companies, which I found quite interesting. And they have changed 
the manufacturer, generally for the better. Um, shoes in general, it's 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 a really odd one. The smaller brands are dying off and being bought up and 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 kind of quashed and disappearing, uh, and owned by larger and larger, particularly on the luxury and larger and larger luxury labels. So the likes of Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, the Prada Group, etc., own most of the great old names in British shoe manufacturing now, and it's changing the design to a certain degree. There are still other great shoemakers out there and boot makers out there. You know, one of my favourites, good old William Lennon. I have mm. far too many of their boots. Yeah, and they're they're very, very solid, brilliant boots. They, they'll custom make things to you, and, and it, they're awesome. But it's, it's, it's yeah, there are boots and shoes that get overlooked a lot. Some of them that are so high-end, sort of your John Lope, bespoke made boots that nobody's ever going to come across or you know is going to realistically afford because they're hugely expensive but yeah it's an interesting one i don't really know quite where i'm going with it but yeah let, let me ask you a controversial question then uh on this because i'm sort of like i've been buying various different brands and i've had some custom made in various countries and uh, tried different stuff out uh, one thing i'm beginning to think more and more is overrated is a little bit um, the quality of the uh, uppers of the leather. And sort of hear me out on this one. Okay. So I think there, there is a sort of basic level of quality that you want from your boots um, and of the uppers. You want it to be, you know, you don't want it to be crap and you want it to be properly tanned so that there's a you know, chance that it'll last. Uh, but in terms of weight and all the sort of various sort of fancy uh, versions of leather, I, I don't, think there's as much value in that as uh, people are willing to maybe pay for it i think actually some just basic veg tan uh in relatively mid or lightweight uppers are actually gonna be more than fine for 99 percent of use um i understand the people who are very very keen to get like you know certain types of uh you know unusual levels like kudu and all that stuff and i have a couple of those as well but i have to say like over time just lighter weight and just decent quality that that sort of takes the box beginning it's beginning to take the boxes for me more and i'm much more concerned about you know the quality of the sole and things like that because ultimately that's that's much more to do with the comfort for me what do you think i think, I think you've probably got a lot I've, I've you know most of my you know work shoes are a decent weight custom grain using either trickers or churches and that, that's pretty much standard that's all my work shoes have been forever boots i've kind of branched out and tried a few different things and like i said i've done the odd leather so i've got a pair of buffalo hide vibergs which i kind of go if i got the same vibergs in any other leather they probably last longer to be fair that the buffalo isn't maybe as strong as other leathers it weathers differently. It looks quite different. It's interesting, but it, more than an interest, I don't think it's any more usable or any more suitable for any of the environments I wear my boots in than a normal leather that's been, as you said, well tanned, well looked after. Um, I think a lot of it with older boots and shoes is how you look after it as well. So, you know, I've there's some great guys on Instagram. Um, Guy in Brighton, whose name I can never remember, who strips back old bespoke shoes and recleans them. Re and a lot oh, of his, I've, I've bespoke addict. That's the chap. Yeah. What so, was that? Uh, what was the name? Bespoke addict. Bespoke addict. Okay. 
does some amazing stuff with older shoes. And I've seen it. I've bought shoes in charity shops for five quid. That have been amazing quality shoes. They look horrendous. But once you've burnt off the years of old, poorly put on wax and scrubbed them down to the basic leather and see they have an amazing sole unit and they're double stitched and they've been made very, very well, you can then build that back up again and get an absolutely lovely pair of shoes. So I think people do tend... People are always going to go into that unicorn. They want that one amazing thing that's slightly better and different. You can tell everybody about... I see that a lot on the boot forums, particularly the American guys, go for some, you know, very basic work boots, but have them made out of the most obscure materials you can think of, just for the sake of... And you kind of go, well, they're totally incompatible with what they're designed for, and actually trying to use them long-term and for anything good, it's not going to work anyway. Now, I've been dipping into uh, to various shoe and boot uh, podcasts and forums recently, and I have noticed confirmation, really, of a trend that I noticed a while back, and that is that shoes and boots are getting even more expensive. The ones people really want, you're talking sort of $1,000 upwards. Um, and I noticed that much of the talk is about uh, horse but cordovan leather, and really, really specialist things. And combining this with... You know the the buy better buy once trend. I see people are going for these really really high end footwears, but they're not just buying once. I mean, they're buying lots of. Well, I've certainly seen it on the the boot forums, particularly some of the American ones, and some of the guys now out in the Far East are buying really obscure leathers and materials to have their boots made from, and they're still using the same custom manufacturers. These sort of white boots and and nicks and stuff in America and and but they are just choosing stuff, as Dashi said earlier on, that's kind of almost pointless. That that they're doing things for the sake of having some amazing leather that would be great for a jacket or you know if you want to save something that's been you know earth tanned by Bavarian gypsies for twenty years and they've only got this one piece of leather. They, they seem to be pushing for that. And, and again, obscure things like ostrich and kudu and buffalo and, and they're paying a lot of money for it. And I, 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 you know, some of it looks good. Some of it looks terrible, but I can't see the point really. They're not making the boots any better or any more serviceable or lasting any longer in doing that. As far as I can tell. Is it just a case of peak one upmanship in footwear? I think it probably is. I think it's, it's you know, if showing off, I've got this, $2,000 pair of boots made with some obscure elk that you know was shot by John Wayne in 1943 and was tanned by somebody else famous and it's gone to this particular sole unit for manufacturer in the far east and it's come back to this guy in London who's then re-hobnailed it and kind of like it's all bells and whistles for no real benefit i guess yeah because there is a second trend now also in the boot world and that is boots made in primarily indonesia which um they seem to have some amazing makers there and people are ordering (laughs) they seem to be ordering twice as many pairs of boots as usual because they're half the price i think some of those guys i touched on so some of the guys where they send out for these specific sole units and things where you know you've, you've, you've bought a pair of fairly expensive boots that have been sold with leather and lugs and all that sort of thing and then they've decided actually they want cat paw heels and vintage toe caps and a 
a brass screw as opposed to a copper rivet and they then send them off to these guys to get these very niche things done and it's always almost like you know sort of like car culture of you know you bought yourself a mercedes but you want your mercedes to look a bit different so you want to change the badge on it and lower it and put lights in it and then put a pumping stereo in it to show other people that you're great and it, it just seems to be that i can't i i honestly don't get a lot of the reasoning for doing it other than one-upmanship for showing off could be room for a youtube channel called pimp my boots Almost certainly, there's there's definitely enough uh, imagery and people out there talking about it. It it seems to be a quite big movement, and it seems to be very American centric as well. American and the Far East, and and as as a Brit interloper, they kind of look at me in a little bit of a strange way when I keep pinging out these. Like, as I've said before, I've, I've shown a couple of pictures of my um, William Lennon boots and American boots that are designed for work in similar sort of environments are designed and look very different. And, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know how much appetite there is for the American Packer boot in Europe. It's kind of half cowboy boot, half work boot. And I can't imagine many men in Europe wearing them, but in America, they seem particularly certain States of America, they're very, very popular. And it's, it's an interesting argument of having their pointy work boots with heels compared to my, very round-toed, flat-soled work boots here. And they obviously have a historical context. You know, mine were designed for pits and farms. There's a design for riding ponies through mountains. So being slightly like cowie boots is beneficial then. But yeah, it's it, it's a different culture I hadn't really come across until trying to find an obscure pair of boots once. Yeah, I have to admit they don't work for me either with the big heel and uh, the Western stylings and that... Um... But uh, immensely rugged that they rugged. are, and rugged, rugged is a good look. And I and my wife quite likes it because with the uh, two inch heels on my packer boots, I'm actually taller than her. Finally, so uh, yeah, I can, I can pretend I'm manly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep saying that. Yeah, well, I have, I'm almost six foot in my American slightly camp camber boots. I, I'm six foot five when I stand on something that's about. 12 inches tall so yeah yeah I, I think there's a big thing oh and by the way to acknowledge we weren't ignoring uh, Sean for the first half an hour of the conversation <laughs> Sean just joined that I might be dipping out um, but um, the the one thing I'd say about boots for me and this is I think probably indirectly where this question is coming from is um, there, there is a lot of echo chambers uh, in the boots world and that's probably because a lot of this stuff is quite expensive and difficult to get your hands on and people aren't willing to sort of take random gambles which i completely understand uh and so over time people have just asked for advice on the same play you know forums that you know you normally would and these people have maybe a dozen brands in their head and if it's one of those then that's good and if uh, it isn't then good luck and then you know you have all these other brands that over time come in try to underbid on purely the price element and things like that which you know there's a huge load of those american brands now that seem to be making really cheap um boots um but i'm not i'm not always convinced about the quality they shall go nameless for now but um but yeah and then you have the indonesian and asian stuff which seems to be really good um which you know some of it uh, is just really difficult to get to and you know the communication is an issue as well for some some of these smaller makers uh, because you know not all of them you know speak english uh, all that well um from what i understand at least but yeah i'd, I'd say that the main thing is that definitely there's like smaller brands that are overlooked 
and some of the some of the sort of luxury elements of this is probably overhyped and actually just some basic good leathers will do more than just fine for most people and actually you get a lot of enjoyment out of them and you shouldn't feel like you have to spend hundreds of pounds uh, uh, um, to get something decent because I don't think that's the case at all. No, I agree. I think, you know, if you're looking at a good entry-level boot that for the average man is every day, and it's still not cheap, it's still a couple hundred quid, Red Wing Iron Rangers or Red Wing, one of those style of boots seem to tick all the boxes for everybody and are, are straight in there with the looks. They generally last a long time. They're mass-produced, they're available everywhere. They're not bad boots, they've got pretty good quality. That seems to be the, the go-to to start off. And then these guys, as you say, get more expensive and more interesting and more niche, seem to be very based on that aesthetic and taking it off on a slight tangent. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I do get the impression that the Indonesian boots, I've no idea of the quality. I hear good things and they use all the good leathers and the good soles in this. But the main attraction of them is the fact that they're about half the price of the, the sort of regular big guys. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, and that, that, and what that means is that they they can put the same amount of hours in, um, and make something that's really, really good quality, uh, and then it'll cost you less. I guess that's where that's sort of coming from in terms of the price to sort of explain because they're using probably the same leathers, if not very similar ones, and it's just that the hourly rate there is just so much lower that they can sort of you know spend thirty hours making uh, a boot by hand, uh, but it'll still cost you a lot less maybe than. You know the Vibergs that uh, are similar but cost seven eight hundred pounds. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think I think it's it's interesting to see that the ownership of lots of the American boots, like Dana boots and Whites and things that are quite on the radar now, aren't owned by Americans anymore. Hmm. And that's 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 blown the mind of a lot of very traditional American boot wearers, it would seem, and they're now Japanese owned. Both those companies are Japanese owned. But seemingly the quality and the marketing has changed from them being just boots for packers, miners, um, you know, the traditional use of them. And now they're becoming fashionable white boots I've never heard of until a couple of years ago. And now they're absolutely everywhere in boot forums and everybody's very high up on that. And I think that's possibly the marketing spin from new ownership. Uh, but I also think there is a thing where, again, with the echo chamber thing, where there's a certain look that has become accepted yes. and everything has started to look the same. That's why, like, I mean, the other, in addition to William Lennon, the other brand I threw out um, is like Zeha Berlin. And I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. It's quite a small German brand. But again, they're doing something slightly different. They're basing their shoes on sort of athletic footwear from the I think it's 40s to 70s or something like okay. that. And they're doing reproductions of old shoes, basically. I think their history is something like um, they used to be the same or in com- competition with Adidas back okay. in you know the day, and they produced um, athletic footwear for you know Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics and all sorts of things. And so all their designs are based on these originals, and they look completely different to anything that you'd um, see. But again, they have you know a lot of the same sort of um, I guess uh, characteristics that we would typically say are uh, desirable in the sort of world that we um, live in in Instagram in terms of, you know, actual heritage, you know, good quality, but it's just that they don't look the same as everything else. And because of that, they probably don't get the attention. Which is probably nice because as you said, I, I go on the boot forums quite a bit and they get blown out of their mind when I'm not looking at a kind of Packer style boot or a Red Wing, um, whatever they are, 
something. I mean, ninety percent is just service boots in very yeah. various variations, isn't it? That's what yeah. it's ultimately all based on. Yeah, and you know, service boots are great functional boots, but they are just all the same. And they're, as you said, they're just trying to do the same thing with weirder materials and changing the sole units and building it slightly differently. But ultimately, they are all the same. So it's quite nice to know there's something else out there. What, what, who is it who gets to decide what is sort of the look we're all keen on these days? Uh, like now it's service boots, but as you say, it's an echo chamber. So uh, say five years ago, it was all um, all Red Wings, wasn't it? Um, next year, it might be something else. Uh, again, it's sort of back to the fashion cycles, I, I guess. But it's the same thing with trench coats. It's sort of an established thing that, oh, trench coats, so cool. You'll find no end of guides on YouTube and stuff to how to wear a trench coat, how to style it and all this. I mean, do we really listen to that or do we make up our own mind about what we think is cool? I, I let you make my mind up, Nick. That's the way I tend to approach these things. <laughs> I, I can work with that, yeah. But I think uh, I think Sean has his own mind. Mm, yeah, usually, yeah. Um, I, no, I, I, tend, I, I look... At a lot of things i look at a lot of things on the internet i look at a lot of pictures and think do i like the look of that you know whether something's a new trend an old trend what's the historical significance of an item blah 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 if it's still if i still think it looks stupid i won't wear it do you know i'm not like i'm not some uh dic- i'm 49 you know i'm not dictated by the um what, what is and what isn't fashion but the guys on the forums though sean what will they say? What will they think? I know, but I don't really involve myself with with these matters. Um, I I don't know. I think like some things look good, but you know it won't look good on you. Do you know? Um, or you know, some trends will come up and you'll go right. I can see why that's popular. Um, I trench coats, um, but you know, perhaps it's not for me. If I had a job in an office that I was, you know traveling on public transport to get to and from on a daily basis um living in a rainy city perhaps a trench coat would be something i would wear um but for me and i i do have a few to be honest with you um it's not the most um practical of items so if you're looking at that one item in, in particular um, they tend to be. I'm I'm quite small as well, so they tend to be quite oversized. If you're buying vintage, um, you know you're kind of having to go down to, to sort of the rarer, smaller sizes for me to get, um, you know, any way to fit because they're, they're designed to go over um, clothing, even the more modern ones. So, for instance, I've got a fairly modern um, Burberry one. I think it was probably on the crux of when they went all. Burberry Brit and stuff, but it's 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 a more modern cut, so it's a very pale, um, almost cream-coloured um, outer raincoat um, with the the tartan behind the collar and so on and so forth. It's a they normally go by um, Italian sizes, so it's a forty-eight, which I think is equivalent to about a what a thirty-eight here, there or thereabouts. And it's it's massive, you know. It's far it's far too long. It's far too big, um. So I'm going to have to get it sold through, you know. But it's difficult to get one that that actually fits. I've got a um an American thirty six inch um Ralph Lauren one that's got a removable wool lining that fits me perfectly. But 
hardly ever wear it. You know, it's just it's just one of these items. If you're looking at that in particular, that I just don't, I don't find them particularly um, practical. I'd always rather wear like a an overcoat or no coat. Anybody else? If we're talking about trench coats, well, I touched on it slightly before. I I have to, you know I've got one of those or I had one of those jobs where you do commute and you but I still can't wear them. I find them ungainly. Generally, I don't think anybody's looked good in trench coats since the nineteen forties. Mm-hmm. They they just don't seem to fit any practical purpose for my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they look reasonable as a silhouette if you're stood still for a few seconds in them. Maybe if you've bothered, but if not, you look like a bag of spuds. So mm-hmm. not, not- I think the trick is with trench coats that you have to have a really oversized one, but it also really helps if you're tall and very slim. So you wear it oversized and you're tall and slim and you can sort of look quite suave. But most guys who wear them are kind of short, kind of husky. And when you've done the belt up and whatnot, <laughs> you look like your granddad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean about when you see you, you, you see people wearing things that you think, oh, that's quite nice, but you have to be realistic and think, like, it's not going to really suit me, is it? You know, it's not really going to be my uh, my thing. Um, and as I say, trench coats tend to be a sort of fairly classic example of that, you know, um, that, that will tend to, to swamp you um, quite a bit. Overcoat, vintage overcoats can can be like that as well. Where you know you have to, it, it's rare that I'll find one that um, fits me. I've got to really, really go down and. So, I mean, I'm sort of about a forty chest, which is fairly standard. But a lot of the times, I'm going down to like small, extra small, thirty six, thirty eights. You know, um, to to get something, and, and there's less of them of that size. They tend to be sort of forty two, forty four. Um, as an average size, so you know, buying second hand as I do, it's it, it's harder to find one that doesn't completely swamp me, um, and I tend to have to get it shortened as well, um, which then makes the pockets look a bit odd because they're a bit too low down and so on and so forth. But, but it's odd. It seems it seems unique to trench coats because I I wear great coats and overcoats in heavier materials and seem to get away with it. You know, I'm a 46 chest. I'm five. Yeah. Men. I'm not particularly tall, but I'm fairly wide on the top. Yeah. They look great. You know, they're tailored in, they're stronger, they're more rigid. But as I said, you put me in a pretty much any trench coat or that sort of lighter fabric, look like a bag of potatoes. It's, mm. It doesn't, just doesn't work. Does mm. it make a difference if it's single breasted or double breasted for you at all? For me, not, not a great difference. And even, you know, and trying different, f- functions with the belts and tying them at the back or tying them at the front to try to nip in the waist because I'm I'm triangular, I'm fairly shoulder heavy. They just it doesn't it never actually works. I had one many, many, many years ago, which was an Izzy Miyaki one, which was designed to be oversized and it was pretty much the smallest size they made and designed to be oversized. Mm-hmm. And I wore that religiously for about a couple of years ago in a charity shop and it fell apart and I loved it and it just seemed to work. But I've never found one in twenty years since. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things, it's a fairly dominant vintage style. I do lots of vintage stuff. And, you know, that and belt-back jackets, people love in vintage. I can't wear either of those items. Belt-back jackets I have a massive personal hatred of. Of course, they do, they, they're designed to shape people into triangles, which I am naturally, so I look ridiculous. They always end up look too short, or I look like I've been on steroids and my shoulders stick out for miles. It doesn't look right. Whereas on a taller, skinny guy, like a trench coat, they look great. 
So are people just shorter now? Is that the issue? Is that what we're sort of... Well, no, people are taller now. It's, it's, it's completely the opposite. People are taller now. But I think there's a big thing about people not... You know, people don't wear trench coats correctly now, I guess. The trench coat was designed to go over a full suit. And people don't tend to do that. And, and suits don't have the structure they used to have. And, you know, I think the silhouettes change because people don't wear hats. And I think that oddly makes a trench coat look better if you've got a trilby or some sort of hat with it. Maybe I'm just harking back to, you know, thinking I'm Dick Tracy when I was a kid or something. But there, there seems to, there seems to be a, a person that can wear it and a person that can't. And the people that can wear it are far and few between. I think one of the things with trench coats is that they look good on young people, and it's the young people who are reading all the sort of fashion guides about how trench coat is the, the in thing this season. And could it just be a generational thing? I mean, there are a lot of clothes that do look better on teenagers than they do on middle-aged men. I think there there is an age where you've got to stop wearing skater shoes and a backwards baseball cap, and if you're doing it over thirty, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I was reading, uh, well, I was br- looking over the shoulder of my wife reading an interior magazine at the library yesterday, and I noticed there was this Norwegian musician. He's 53, and his um, his girlfriend, who he lives with, is 29, and he was dressing like he was 29. And I was sort of looking at that photo, and I was wondering, now, how many years before he things sort of catch up with him? And he's really obviously not 29. I think that the Beastie Boys wrote about this. They were saying about, you know, they're quite stylish. They're all guys our age and maybe a little bit older. And they change from being very street to not being quite so street. And they, they've done it really well. And I think people can probably take a, you know, that's still cool. They're not, you know, wearing square dad clothes like I tend to wear. But they don't look like they're trying too hard. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you, do you think the Beastie Boys um, sort of, I almost said dress themselves, but uh, do you think they employ a team of stylists to sort of pick out what they should be wearing? I think I, I personally don't think they do. No, I think a lot of bands do. I think if you look at um, U2 and Coldplay being two classic examples of like they just get given clothes, you have to wear this, you know, I think that's quite obvious. But I would say the Beastie Boys, um, I'm not saying they won't get three trainers of folk, but. Um, no, that no. I think they they can they they seem to have their own individual style, and um, as you were saying, I think they have developed that style from the streetwear that they clearly know that they can't wear forever. But I think they've acknowledged um, that as well, haven't they? They've acknowledged that their roots of what they were doing, and there's a certain age where you look a little bit odd wearing stuff that's a little bit too young for you. Mm. Yeah. I, I've always been a bit like that with trainers. Like I, I kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've I kind of stopped wearing them when I was about twenty five, twenty six, and even sort of before that. But that's always been a, a quite specific thing with me. I've never found them particularly comfortable, and I've never really liked the look of them. Um, so I would tend not to, not to ever wear trainers like out of the house. Um, as casual as I would get, footwear would wise would be. Um, like sort of leather boat shoes or something. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily wear anything more casual on my feet. That that's just a personal preference, and I'm not saying that that people our age or my age don't don't look good in trainers. But I just it's just not for me. 
Um, as I say, I, I don't. I know a lot of people say, "Oh, they're very comfortable," but I just I don't get that from them at all. I'd, I'd rather well, have. I think they're trainers and trainers. My son gets very excited about the new Yeezys and the new, and they look horrendous. Mm. And you know, as a joke, when I've been out with them, I put them on, and I look like an absolute pillock in them. But you know, if I'm wearing a pair of Converse or a pair of Stan Smiths or kind of dad trainers, he refers to them as. I don't look mm. too bad. I'm not a big trainer fan. I live in dying boots and and boots and brogues, so I mm-hmm. have. Two pairs of trainers I wear for trail walking, and one pair I wear when I'm vaguely doing any sport. But yeah, they're not, they're not something I, 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 I. There are lots of people that do, and there's these huge cult followings, and people love trainers for many different reasons. And you see some amazing design coming out in the world of trainers and sneakers, and some really clever stuff going on. But they're just not my bag. And I think after a certain age, you look a bit odd in them mm-hmm. if you're not doing sport. The, the, there's a real. Um affection for sort of you know adidas gazelle style trainers amongst those that have adopted some sort of mod culture i don't know why trainers or particularly adidas gazelles in various colors have been adopted by the sort of mod type full mod i would say um type character have you noticed that that they seem to be like acceptable footwear um amongst those that are big Paul Weller fans, if there seems to be, um, which I've always found a bit odd. So if you look back to like, you know, the origins of, of that subculture, then, you know, th- th- that would be really, really frowned upon. But it seems to be that there's this kind of, um, that if they wear Adidas, then it's seen as like somehow it been incorporated into part of their, their uniform. As such, I, mean, I know it's not something that should really concern me, but uh, it's just something, an observation more than anything. It's just something that I've noticed. Um, that, I'm just wondering you know, if it's one of these cases, like so many other aspects of life, where people just want some sort of guidance. So if a lot of people are wearing Adidas gazelles and are sort of going for a mod style, well, that's a safe choice. So if you're in sort of into the counterculture, if you're into, in some respect or other, you might want a pair of Doc Martin boots. Um my daughter want she she um had just started high school in the summer and she wanted a pair of um Dr. Martin boots and she had her own money to buy them. and you know I thought I'm not gonna start giving her a Solivare lecture or anything. You know, if she wants to buy like high gloss Dr. Martin boots then great. Because, you know, in the day she walks to school it's it's about just over a mile and a half. It's a quite a distance, you know, and she needs like in the winter sort of comfortable shoes to wear. Um and they seem all right. I mean she's she's worn them quite a bit over the last few months and I've I've kind of been keeping a close eye on them. Um and they seem to be holding their own um quite well. So I thought I'll not give her any uh, I'm sure she'd be bored stupid if I gave her a Solovey lecture, you know, but um you know, they seem okay. And um I think she paid about eighty pounds um for sort of child size ones and uh you know she'll probably grow out of them within a few months anyway but um you know that was that was her choice that was her choice of, of footwear um so good on her well generally i'd say one thing about all this stuff is that i in terms of, i wouldn't dismiss any category and i'm sure you guys are not doing that but just so sort of saying uh, of any category of clothing i think it's much more about the particular item or the sort of style within it so that's why i think with something like sneakers i think it depends on what you you know what you uh, are talking about really like you can you, i think 
everyone could probably find a version of sneakers that um, that you can wear. Uh, mm. I don't necessarily think it's an age thing. I mean, Larry David would look ridiculous in a pair of brogues, um, but um, it, you know, at the same time, yeah, he probably shouldn't wear. I don't know, uh, some sort of. Uh, a Kanye West's version of uh, a sneaker, but then when he wears that New Balance or just a regular white sneaker, then Larry David looks exactly like Larry David should look. So mm. <laughs> uh, I think it sort of depends. Yeah, there, there seems to be more of an American thing than anything I've noticed, where you know, like fairly formal wear, and and older guys, guys in the fifties, sixties. That like wearing fairly formal outfit, not necessarily a shirt and tie, but a fairly formal outfit, but just pairing it with a pair of sort of fairly big white trainers. Um, I was watching a documentary last night on Saturday Night Fever, and um, the guy was wearing like tweed suit and and uh, and jumper, and when you looked down, he had he had these big uh, New Balance trainers on, you know. And it just, like it just looks really odd, but it's something I've seen quite a lot of. I've seen a lot of like. What do the guys think? Maybe, as you say, it's maybe like a comfort thing. So as they get older, maybe they're finding that, you know, stuff it. These are more comfortable than me wearing formal shoes, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to wear them. I'm just, like, personally, I've always found shoes and boots more comfortable. So that's tend to be, um, you know, what I've worn um, rather than um, than trainers. Um, I had, I've got a pair of Nike um, Airs, is it Nike Air, that I bought secondhand a few years ago that are a size nine and I, they're still too tight. I still find them far too tight. Um, so I don't know if the size and stuff's different on them or, or what, but um, there might be, there might be us size nine or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. So you saw a documentary on Saturday night fever. I'm going to stop you. If you plan to discuss seventies white disco suits now. Yeah. But I, I wanted to get back to the bit about celebrities and their style. And I'm not talking about Harry Styles and his front cover of Vogue wearing dresses now. That's not my thing at all. But I do know that there are a lot of celebrities who are sort of known as being super stylish, um, who do employ their own stylists. Mm. So how do we sort of see that person X, big film star, whatever, generally admired as being a, a person of supreme style but are they actually that when they're paying someone to pick out their clothes and basically dress them mm. do, do you think most of them are i suspect a huge amount of both movie and music people are yeah do you think that is just for the sort of public appearances? They're very curated and told what to wear, and you know you've got sponsorship deals with X, Y, and Z. You have to wear this when you are seen at this event. Do you think they still maintain that in their real lives outside that? My, maybe not when they're at home watching telly with their hand in a bag of potato chips. But I get the impression that it is a large part of their public persona. So whenever they are out, if they're just out and going out to eat or whatever, they will be wearing their approved garbs. Mm -hmm. and, think... it, and, it, and it's a big, serious business. I mean, I've been listening to American podcasts where they interview people who work as stylists, and I find it completely baffling. I mean, it's 
this is almost science. I mean, it's really serious. No, no, I, I, I've, I've got friends who are in, nobody who really acts at a level where they're going to style this, but I've, I've got a couple of friends that work in music and in sport, and they are told what to wear at certain engagements because of their sponsorship, and that's that's kind of slightly different, but it's not necessarily what they, and I know them personally, so it's I know it's not what they wear when they're not doing what they're being paid to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I guess you know there, there is that certain element of you know I've got friends who are music on stage and stuff, and they've been very stylized for photo shoots and for certain gigs that are, I guess, yeah, and I, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I don't know. I, I I've met people, you know, you uh, McGregor did the Tweed run with me a few years ago. And he looked amazing, and I did question whether that was his choice or whether it was somebody else's. And I, and I, and I can never kind of tell, really, with how. In I, I've same as you, Nick. I've seen sort of these American guys, and it is a science. It's literally down to the right colours to mix with whatever film they're being filmed on, and and stuff like that. So it, it's obviously going on, but I don't know. It's not things I might have really have thought about. I just kind of go, people are wearing clothes because they like those clothes or they fit them or they serve a purpose. Because mm-hmm. some of these guys, I mean, they are so immensely wealthy that it, they're not being sort of sponsored, I imagine. No, no. Uh, the fact that Drake uh, now wears a lot of Stone Island. So I can't imagine it's sort of, wow, Stone Island gave me these clothes. They're so great. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... When you're saying that though, but then you see people like on um, like film premieres and stuff, and it, but it tends to just be like a dark suit and a white shirt and a tie, you know. And it's like if you can't get that right <laughs> with unlimited funds, then you know. I, I sure I'm not pointing you towards the ex US president Donald Trump who can't get yeah. that right in any way, yeah. shape, or form. You're like, how can you not get it right? Exactly. But he has a very, like, he obviously decides that these ties, these horrible, like, pound shop silky ties that he wears, that he obviously thinks they look good on him. So, you know, who is anybody to question him? And, like, you know, they're, they're always far too long. They're like that really cheap, horrible looking silk, you know, or polyester or whatever, in case he spills his burger on them. And, like, yeah, but I'm I'm talking about maybe more like actors, um, you know, like film stars that who will go to premieres or be seen at various events. That there tends to be a kind of oneness, you know, with what they're wearing. Um, and yeah, yeah, obviously you look at some of them and go right, your your trousers are far too long, or you know that clearly doesn't suit you or fit you. But um, it it kind again it it sort of passes me by because I don't see anything there that I think oh yeah they look smart you occasionally get somebody that will be dressed slightly different um the actor martin freeman he tends to spend a bit more time um on what he wears i don't know if you've ever noticed he, he's obviously quite a fan of of um clothing so he tends to uh look a bit different the 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 cyclist um whose name i forget now that had, had his own clothing range for a while as well um yeah both those use bespoke tailors a lot for the the main menswear as well so they actually right. they obviously are quite involved so they're guys i know I, I know they've used mark powell bespoke tailoring both of them uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you kind of go they've obviously got an eye for detail because they've gone to this guy to get a very specific look 
Yeah. Both, actually, both the looks, because they've, they've kind of both edged on the mod three-piece suit look a lot. Yeah. So they've obviously yeah. got an eye for that style, and they've gone to the person that is predominantly very good for that style in this country. So I think that's probably more their taste than being told, but maybe mm. they've been directed to certain outfitters or suppliers mm-hmm. for that. I don't I don't know, quite know. Mm-hmm. There is a huge difference, though, here between men and women, isn't there? Because we're talking about men wearing black suits to an event, but the women will have a whole palette of stuff they could wear. Oh, yeah, it's obviously, you know, a damn sight more complicated for um, for women than it is for men. You sometimes notice on, um, there's like talk show on uh, the Graham Norton show, which is on a, on a, either a Friday or a Saturday night or whatever, and you, you tend to find it like people on there you think right you've you've made a bit of an effort to, to what you're wearing um i think that can be quite a showcase for these things you can see people like have put a bit of thought into it right i'm going to be sitting on the couch i don't want to be too warm i don't want to be but with men it, it again it tends to be a suit you know and the suit tends to still be the thing that that people go back to in formal settings which is i suppose it's understandable because what what else you know, apart from a blazer and trousers, which is a suit and mold but name, um, what else are you gonna what else are you gonna wear, you know? So for us, but again it makes it easier because we don't have all the variations that uh, that that women do. So you, even if you looked at it yourself and said, Right, I would be going say I'm going on the Graham Norton show tomorrow, what would you wear? You know, so what what well, you would immediately think about a suit, wouldn't you? My shirt of the day. <laughs> Does it fit? Is it ironed? Does it look reasonable? Will it fit under a jumper? Done. Yeah. How are you, Sean? Eye candy? No, not at all. No. In fact, have I have I even think for a moment when I when I before I post a photo of me wearing clothing, if I even analyse it, I think I don't put it on because I think like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I putting photos of me wearing clothing onto the internet for people to? either like or just ignore you know and if i overanalyze it sometimes i'll just forget about it and i'll not do it um and i'll put a painting on or something instead you know but um yeah i yeah it's there's an oddness to it that i like to not think about sometimes that you know i've gone down this route of of saying look at me look what i bought isn't this nice you know and and if i think about it too much um i don't want to do it that's been being honest, you know. Um, Would you like to pit, sit on a pig stool in the middle of the road outside your house taking a photo? Yeah, yeah. sometimes I think, like, you know, your neighbours must look out the window and go, oh, he's at it again. <laughs> obviously, they'll say that in Norwegian. But they do. No, my, my son asked me, why are you taking photographs of yourself to put on the internet? And I haven't come up with a decent answer yet. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I am eye candy. Uh you know, I, I'm making the day of a lot of men and women out there. There are people that probably think, yeah, that John bloke. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a weird old world. It is, yeah. And as I say, if you if you overanalyze it, it's not good. You know, it's um it leads you down difficult avenues of thought. Um but I, I, I find it you know, a good way to, to pull off a smile, though. I just have to think of how bloody ridiculous I am. And I can't help smiling. So um, that's my trick. I think y- you have to have um, some sort of 
raison d'etre. You have to have some sort of reason, um, as in like I like my premise would would tend to always be okay. You know, I bought something secondhand. This is the story behind this item. Blah blah blah. Nick with yourself and John. You know, it's it's more about you know. Look, here's some sort of higher end manufacturer that you might not have known I and this is what I've done to this item and you know and that's and it it, it gives it that interesting angle to to just come on I think and and say hey look hey look at me okay damn cool I'm looking today you know is is another thing altogether and I I just couldn't and we you don't either neither you do I don't I you know gently don't think that 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 you would come on and go, oh gosh, you know, how cool did I look today? Um, you know, and go and then put some like mad inspirational quote um, that, and, and there are plenty that do this, that, you know, they'll, they'll just put you sort of um, reading a newspaper and drinking a coffee and say, oh, the day always starts better with a coffee or, um, you know, something along the lines of um, if you don't, if you don't go for today, what you could have had tomorrow, you won't get it in that tomorrow where yesterday's are all gone or something like that. And you're supposed to go, Oh yeah. And, and flick a look at your, profound. Um, I think, I think my, my photo is about, I've got some cool stuff. I've messed about with it as opposed to look at me, live, love, laugh. Aren't I looking great? Yeah. That's please subscribe to saying, my John. Patreon channel and uh, you can pay three ninety nine to see my buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> buttocks. Only fans page. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to subscribe to any of my pay-per-view channels, then yeah, please do. I don't <laughs> And it just it, it, it's, an, it's a really odd thing. But yeah, I, my, I guess I'm a coat hanger for the stuff, cool stuff I'm trying to show off as opposed to showing myself off. Exactly. 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 Um, you know, and, and I think you've got to, to have that sort of point of difference. Um, and, you know, I kind of run out of things to, to show. I don't like buy stuff all the time. So there's probably still half the stuff hanging in the wardrobe that I haven't ever shown that I will at some point, but I just kind of never get around to it, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the internet. There's Instagram done, right? Let's move on to something else. Let's move on to knitwear. Oh. And the reason that I wanted to mention knitwear is that Personally, I seem to have accumulated a few pieces the past weeks, and it got me thinking that has British-made knitwear suddenly sort of exploded again? And what types of knitwear are we seeing? Because um, I have to admit that I used to have one sweater, and then I had two, mm. and that was okay. Um, now I seem to have a few more, and there seems to be so much about this so nice, and it's very reasonable, reasonably priced as well. Mm-hmm. So... What has happened? Has sort of Britain suddenly, in the face of Brexit, discovered knitting again? I don't know. I've always loved a jumper. I love jumpers. I my go-to staple wardrobe thing is either is jeans or heavy trousers, a roll neck submariner sweater, and a jacket of some description. The submariner sweater is my go-to wear pretty much every day, all the time item. Um, so yeah, I love it, and and the fact that it, you know it's it's a simple classic. You can wear it with pretty much anything all the time. You can dress it up, dress it down. It's just the wardrobe staple that I always go to, and I think because I quite like knitwear and I like wool and I like natural stuff anyway. I've branched out and I've got some variations on that, and I'm, I've got and I think every colour that um, North Sea Clothing have made, I've got a roll net in that now, um, because they are something I can just 
go to as a as a standard and and I think recently I've kind of gone actually I'm out and about a little bit more wearing a kind of dress suits have seemed to have disappeared from my industry but I still dress up so instead of having a, a jacket or having under a jacket I have a lighter sweater so I've got gone nuts for Shetland jumpers I've got quite a few sort of different pattern Shetlands either Fair Isles or Shetlands I know where they're made. It fits into all the stuff I love. They're made in Britain. I know where they're made. I can probably name the yarn producer and the person who knitted most of my jumpers. Um, and they just work. It's it's just easy. It's, you know, yeah. And you get the same, I've got the same pattern, um, Shetland, woolen, shaggy dog style jumper in about five different colours. And it fits with everything. I can just swap it if I'm wearing jeans, wearing a suit. Ultimate man, man bit of clothing. I, I do agree on the bit about um, it makes life simple because I might often be thinking about if I wear this shirt and this waistcoat and this tie, or I could just wear this roll neck sweater. Yep, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. I have to admit that I recently wore a roll neck sweater and a tweed coat and I felt proper stylish. I felt like I was an architect or someone who drives <laughs> an Audi or something like that, you know, a real icon. That's, just literally, that's literally my go-to outfit for pretty much the same reasons. I can be, I can be, I can be an architect or an explorer or a trendsetter in the '60s or a farmer, and they're all the things that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm with you guys as well. I, I would very rarely wear just like jeans and a shirt, or um, you know, trousers and a shirt. I'll tend to always have a jumper on um apart from in, in the height of summer which which here's about two weeks usually tops but um yeah it's always been my go-to item as i say there's so many variations that in color and in, in weight and in, in, in knit um in style there's just that you could i mean i think in the last month alone i've bought five six maybe seven jumpers off the internet um, off eBay, sorry, all different. And um, I bought two that don't fit that I intend to just try and stretch. And if they don't, well, fine. But there were labels that I wasn't that familiar with that I wanted to to buy them to see what they were like and see how good they were. And um, yeah, absolutely. And as you both said, you can you can put one on with a tweed jacket, and you're immediately smarter dressed than most people in the room. You know, and I know that's not really what it's about, but it does, and it, it doesn't take a lot of effort on our part because we've got the the stuff there. And um, yeah, I absolutely absolutely love a jumper. You know, I will wear one pretty much every day, um, in some variation. And on on the British stuff, I've I've just noticed from pages of following you and from following you guys that all these manufacturers that are British manufacturers that are coming up, um, that I would probably not be afforded to buy myself but you know i can look at the style of them and then look at look for a vintage jumper that might be like a similar style like you were saying like the north sea clothing um submariners and then go and look for something um look for something second hand but yeah the, the two i bought last month there was one by um barry mills b-a-r-r-i-e mills that turns out that are owned by chanel and make the knitwear Eight hundred, nine hundred pounds uh, for a, a cashmere jumper for Chanel, and I got this roll neck, black one for twelve quid, 
um, online that looks as if it's hardly been worn. There was another one, um, a brown roll neck that was a lamb's wool, kind of mid-weight, you know, neither heavy nor, nor too thin, um, by Peter Saunders, um, who had a royal warrant for the Prince of Edinburgh. Now, I think they've, uh, Duke of Edinburgh, sorry, they've, they've went bust some time in the mid-70s, so this jumper must be fairly old but again just seeing that label with the the royal warrant on it and um on on your piece of knitwear lovely made made jumper again for a, for about 12 quid so the, the there's clearly been a lot of knitwear manufacturers out there there still is um as you say the best ones are made in britain or a little bit cheaper like some of the italian like i got a benetton one the other day that's amazing quality i think it's probably nine, 1990s um made an Italy one that is 100% wool, but looks it looks brand new, you know, it's, it's, and again, really fantastic quality. Um, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, John Smedley is one that I, I've got an awful lot of John Smedley jumpers. I tend not to wear them as much now, um, but I would never get rid of them. I'd go back to them. I must have maybe 15, 20 in total, various styles. But again, they were ones that I was wearing in my early 20s that still really nice um sort of british made you know always made in the same factory i believe um john's medley ca- sorry john's medley is an interesting one because they make they contract for so many different people they right okay a wide variety of quality as well right so they, they make the same basic jumper in different quality yarns for different, okay as a contractor so if you go and TK Maxx, one of my favourite stores. You go in there and find a John Smedley sweater. If you actually uh-huh. look at the production label, it'll be John Smedley made specifically for TK Maxx. Right, okay. Half the quality of the John Smedley really nice wool ones, which is mm. interesting. And it's the same with all the knitwear in the UK. You know, there, are, there aren't that many factories in Shetland, for example, making knitwear. Mm. And if you buy a Shetland, it's going to be made in one of about five factories. Mm-hmm. You can then track the traceability of exactly who it is. And as you were saying, that no, some people are selling a Shetland jumper for 600 quid, some are selling it for 40 quid, mm-hmm. made in the same factory by the same lady with the same yarn. Mm. It's quite, it's an interesting thing traceability wise. And, and just you saying about John Smedley really made me think that because I've got some John Smedley sweaters. They're great. I've got one Jedley's Meta. It's terrible. Mm. Checking the production of where it's been made and when for whom, you kind of go, ah, that's why All I'm right, okay. not survived. Because what what I do notice with it, there's the cardigans that I have that are um, lamb's wool, not lamb's wool. What is the wool that they use? Um, merino. Merino. Yeah, tend to be better quality than the merino jumpers um, that I've bought. The Sea Island cotton that they used to do used to be fantastic. So the selling cotton jumpers that I've got that I bought maybe twenty five years ago are far better than the ones that I'm buying now with the more modern label. Um, and it tends to um, pill quite a bit, um, the Sea Island cotton, for some reason, on the newer ones, whereas in the older ones, it was it was um, perfect. So that's interesting, John. I didn't know that. I, um, think, yeah, I, think, I think it's kind of the case of we were talking before you joined us about certain wax jacket manufacturers, you know, mm. When they 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 making the same money under the same label, but if you can do it with slightly cheaper production gods and slightly cheaper materials, mm-hmm. you make a bigger profit. And I think it's the same with John Smedley. Mm. Mm. 
you say, I, I, I remember in the past buying one or two items from TK Maxx, but it tended, it disappeared um, and you didn't seem to be able to buy it in, in TK Maxx anymore. But it's a long time since I've been in one of their stores, so I don't know. I don't know now, but for a while, you know, as we've talked about before, I think with TK Maxx, it was their own sort of merino wool stuff that came over into uh interview and it was terrible you know it was really poor quality and sizing and but um yeah it's as i say i don't don't wear it as much now i'll tend to maybe wear it more in the summer because it's lighter weight um but it was always my sort of go-to it was one of the first labels that when i was in my mid-20s i thought yeah this is a label i like i like the clothing i'm going to stick with it and and buy some more um and you know it's still even the maybe not so good stuff still a hundred times better quality than buying a jumper say from um top man not that you can now but you know what i mean um but interestingly you seem to be going for a, for a fairly different vibe with the jumpers mine tend to be bigger heavier itchier you seem to be going for the lighter weight more just what you're saying. Uh, yeah. if that's because you know one of nick's original points was do you like the big hairy sweaters or do you like the uh yeah, I actually think I like both, John. I think um, in the winter I will tend to wear a, a bigger, a bigger hairier sweater, and in the summer, um, or you know, in the spring or, or the autumn, I will t- I'll tend to wear a thinner, a thinner knit. Um, you know, I've got the biggest one I've got is uh common people. You know, the the old Kesson hair label, yeah. um, jumper that is, it's it's almost like a two man job putting it on. It's so heavy. <laughs> Um, you know, you could you could float in it. I tell you, yeah. No, I like I like especially with roll necks and like Guernsey jumpers and stuff. I like them to be, you know, like a big substantial. Um, you know, sort of my ideal jumper is a navy blue, uh, sort of submariner style jumper that I, I've got. I've got an old Marks and Spencer one that I wear probably more than any other jumper I've got. Uh, and again, it's probably about a quarter of a century old now, if not more. Um, it's still in perfect condition, but um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's 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 a go a go to thing. But the, at this time of the year, I'll even tend to wear a shirt. I don't know if that's frowned upon. I'll wear a shirt under a roll neck, and just pop the collar up underneath, and it keeps it keeps you even warmer, rather than a t shirt. I wanted to follow up a bit on what John mentioned about itchy. Uh, mm. When I visited the Harris Tweed Weavers uh, a few years back, I asked having seen all the black face sheep around on the island whether it was local wool they used for for the harris tweed uh that got me a, a good laugh from uh, becca the weaver as um she pointed out that one there weren't enough sheep on the hebrides to supply the harris tree tweed trade and b the wool these sheep had was of a quality that was so um itchy is the word but stiff i suppose um that it was sent to the mainland for use in carpets so the harris tweed wool actually came from mainland scotland and was of a softer quality but what strikes me a lot about the wool jumpers you can buy today is that they are so itchy that i can't wear them uh, even over a t-shirt without going nuts so what do you actually wear under a really itchy wool jumper I don't. I don't tend to find them itchy at all. Um, but I would. I would always tend to either wear a shirt or a, a t-shirt. 
Um, I don't own any like vests as such. I've just got some thinner white t-shirts. But yeah, I would I would always tend to to wear something underneath. As I wear them with nothing underneath because I'm very hairy anyway and I'm you know on days when it's hot I wear them like you would a t-shirt so particularly the, the sort of lighter Shetlands I just wear as a t-shirt sweatshirt mm-hmm. and I don't really what you're implying John is that it, you don't find the jumpers itchy they find you itchy, itchy. I think it probably is. <laughs> they never actually touch my skin so I've got no idea there's there's a there's a downy layer between me and the jumper that keeps us all warm yeah. yeah no they don't they don't tend to bother me at all um, the, even even like the Shetland ones and stuff that are, you know, notoriously rough. That that no, um, there's actually a benefit in my house because my wife won't steal my jumpers. She'll steal lots of my sweatshirts and t-shirts and things to wear, but she won't wear jumpers because they're all too itchy, apparently. So right, and your tweeds too smelly. And my tweeds too smelly. So I've got <laughs> tweeds. I smelly smelly tweeds. Uh, yeah, itchy jumpers and stinky wax jackets. So I'm I'm yeah becoming a land man of the road. Yeah. tramping around. Is this part of the tramp style business? Well, I think, I, 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 you know, the old, the old, uh, I, I've, I've fairly recently read The Gentle Art of Tramping, which is sort of late 18th, early 19th century guide for a man of the road. But basically, I think it's kind of toffs giving up for a couple of months and wandering around camping. But yeah, yeah. I, I, quite, I quite like the idea of that. Just, you know, sticking on my tweeds in a wax jacket and kipping in a ditch over the summer quite nice there's that that sort of dog walker chic as well though isn't there so there's like this uh there's a whole like kind of uh, there is round here anyway like uh a real we're all dog owners but a real sort of dog dog walking style um chic as well where i'm because i'm you know just outside london really and there is very definite difference in the styles of dog walkers and it goes back to the Gore-Tex conversation from earlier there are there are the fully Gore-Tex clad you know latest technology super yeah. Gore-Tex trainers amazing outfits with their very well trimmed usually cockapoos or labradors uh, and then there's the 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 local farmers who are just wearing whatever they fall out of bed in and then there's mm-hmm. There's also a sort of middle class dog walker element, which is a bit more fashion parade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite interesting to see, and and the dogs obviously have their very niche owners as well, which is kind of yeah, yeah. It's it's a whole um, it's a whole other world. I mean, here certainly we are sort of surrounded by parks, but it's it's a sort of very middle class suburb. Um, you know, it's seen as like where the best schools are and stuff and stuff. So there is quite a bit of. Um, sort of dog walking competition um with i think barbers tend to be but there's there's they're still kind of wearing the um you know the old sort of barber international um padded ones that came out for a while that were classed you know with a big sort of shiny badge on them um the black ones you know they, they seem to be quite quite predominant but um yeah i know what you mean you get like people that have that just put a coat on to go for a walk or you get people that have walking outfits and you know will look down their nose and say like you're not taking this walk i you know you're just walking i'm going for a walk you know i'm a a serious walker my wife has Um, a very particular super trousers the waterproof all singing all dancing ones and the show the shmoo wellies and she's very this is my dog walking outfit so i wear every day for three hours walking the dogs whereas i'm kind of I'm wearing exactly what I was wearing before. I've just put wellies on or walking boots, depending on how wet it is. But all my yeah. are suitable for outdoors, so I guess that's 
kind of it. Although occasionally I'll walk with dogs in a suit and get some very strange looks from dog walkers. <laughs> and I think the choice of dog, I think you're right there, but you know, the choice of dog as well, there, there seems to be this um, like predominance of what they call designer yes. uh, breeds that we used to just call a mongrel, <laughs> but you know, um, that, that seemed to be uh, the woman was boasting in the park about her dog the other day going, yeah, and, and he's, uh, he's hypoallergenic, you know, I felt like saying, is it gluten-free as well? You know, it's like, uh, who designed it. Oh yeah. And they're, they're hypoallergenic. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And without going down the sort of dog breeds rabbit hole, I mean, that's where you, you, you get a lot of problems where overbreeding and so on and so forth. You don't know what you're getting, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think if, if you, there's a sort of greyhound fraternity. Look at me, I've saved a greyhound, which is is wonderful because somebody needs to do it. Um, but that's a kind of particular. I think they then look down on other um, dog owners as well because, like, you you've gone to a breeder for a dog and they've gone to like they've got one specifically um, from a, a a rescue centre. So there's a kind of hierarchy there as well. I think. Yeah, no, I'm glad it's not just our local area that has that same. No, no. <laughs> I don't know, Nick, you're probably thinking, what the hell? Um, I don't know if you've got that kind of... Uh, probably, yes, I don't sort of really know many dog owners. Um, right. Although we have our two dogs, but uh, I don't sort of really get into that side of, I was almost said dogging, but uh, <laughs> dog ownership. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not that interested in other people's dogs. But, right, Okay. We do have, I mean, you have all the cockapoos and whatever they're called here as well. And uh, yeah. I do think a lot of people are very into into dog walking and they wear all their, their dog walking garments and they have all their belts with treats and equipment and all that. <laughs> there I'm <laughs> dragging the corgis around the, around the neighbourhood um, with, yeah. with only a poo bag in my hand. <laughs> to, throw, to throw into somebody's garden on the way back. No, no, no. I always take it home and I always pick up everything. Yeah. In that respect, there was a, on a on a, a sort of an online um, Facebook uh, local forum here. There was like a huge debate about um, people putting dog poo bags in other people's bins. So, like, obviously, people that if it's bin day and the bins are out and people are walking past, they'll just shove it in somebody else's bin. And then there's like this big scandal about it. But it's like sort of there's two camps where. Well, that's a good thing. So, because they're not leaving it lying in a tree or in a bush, or it's a bad thing because it's my bin and you don't put dog poo in my bin because I don't have a dog. And oh, Christ, not me. It's a minefield. Anyway, I don't get irate about. There's enough enough annoying things in the world today. Exactly, Nick. Exactly. Exactly. What what with lockdown and everything. Yeah. Does anyone have any burning topics in closing? No, I, I only got sent two questions when I reached out for questions from people, and um, both of them fairly interesting, comedic, rubbish. Uh, they were, what are uh, well-dressed dad's views on Birkenstocks and socks? And has anybody considered how appalling Gap and or Benetton shirts are with their names on for mandatory advertising? Yeah, well, Birkenstocks and socks, I don't know. I mean, you use them at home anyway, so why not? Uh, there's probably more comfortable with socks. You always can say, because I was, I was, it came up because of um, um, the British 
British um, leather sandals of the 50s and the Second World War. And mm. it was quite acceptable to wear leather sandals and socks at one point. And some vintage aficionados are trying to kind of bring it back and bring back the leather sandals that always kind of look like toddler shoes to me. Mm. Um, Not good. And, and then it just obviously digressed onto, you know, socks and sandals being appalling. But we do it at home. I, I walk from my shed to my house in sandals and socks or slippers and socks all the time. But I don't think I'd go out to a party in it. Mm-hmm. With regards to shirts with brands on, I mean, that's sort of the thing with all branded clothes, isn't it? That A, you are advertising for the brand you've bought, but it's sort of, I think people who enjoy wearing brands like that, it is their sort of signaling of their wealth or style or affinity to uh, to whatever brand they're wearing. Uh, personally, I don't feel very comfortable having huge brands. Um, but I know some brands say like Balenciaga, where really that big logo over your back is the garment. How do you feel about the dadgels and all the the casual thing with a Stone Island badge on the sleeve, which always I never really got? I find that Stone Island badge to be a bit pathetic, really. It's very and, much, and it's yeah. even more pathetic when you sort of take it off and just leave, leave the two buttons on. <laughs> it does. It just seems it always. It always struck me as pointless because most of the good Stone Island things, and it has you know massive majesty and all that. Thing, they've made some amazing things over that period, and it does stand out as obviously being Stone Island. So having that on just seemed a bit pointless. Yeah, I've said to you before, Nick. I I want I want to own a Stone Island jacket or a CP Company jacket, but I don't want one that's sort of blatantly a stone island jacket with a badge on it i just like the the idea of them i, I quite like the look of some of them um and i just about bought that Ma- maestrum maestrum oh, one yes. yeah and it went for 33 quid so i've totally forgot about it so anyway we'll not go there but yeah i, I like i like the sort of technical aspect of it i quite like some of the design features and I, i'm assuming they'll be fairly well made but i i when it came to labelling, when you were talking about it there, I, I think I've said to you before that I think that's a whole other discussion um, because it, it, there's so many levels to it. So you're saying about that Bali place that I can't remember the name. Balenciaga. Yeah, the, the, the big label is almost like really, really being obvious with it. But there's labels on items that have always had a label on them and are intrinsically part of the the clothing and i'm going to say like a lacoste t-shirt so a lacoste t-shirt or jumper will always have the crocodile um mm. a fred perry t-shirt would have always had the fred perry crest on it um so when you're going you know sort of right back with these items um and and, and to an extent that i don't like like with the ralph Lauren ones with the little but yeah i mean people are buying she said, they're buying it to, to show, look, I'm, wearing, I'm not wearing a regular shirt, I'm wearing an expensive shirt, and here's my label to show, you know, um, to show what it is. I mean, but, I'm aware that um, sort of not wearing big labels might be as show-offy as it is wearing a label. It's a sort of inverse uh, thing where, mm-hmm. oh, I'm wearing something nice, but you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Or, I think I probably fall Well, you do know that. what it is. <laughs> inverse snobbery category because i would tend to stay away from anything that has labels on but i you know i don't think i own anything cheap in inverted commas lots of it's mm-hmm. second hand and it's reused and retailed and 
you know, and, and, and I guess people in the know know what it is. Like if I'm wearing a Huntsman suit because of the cut, because of, you know, the button detail and the stitching, people will know it's a Huntsman suit. But it doesn't have Huntsman written on it and there's no need for it to have Huntsman written on it. Hmm. I think Barbara are quite Barbara, okay with a little yeah. scripted thing on the pocket. Although old Barbers don't. No. I think it was, I, I would never wear the badge on my barber. Like if if I bought a second hand barber and it comes with the badge, it comes off straight away. Do you know? I just don't see the point of them. Because there's a, there's a few things you know, kind of like in, and you know, lots of the brands have obviously got a heritage that is almost worth celebrating. In many cases, actually, is worth celebrating. But I think I would actively the same as you. I've got barber, but I've got a drawer with barber badges in that I've just lobbed them in. There's probably eight or ten in there at some point, which I might sell on eBay because I'm sure somebody wants them. But yeah, it's 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 odd. People, you know, there's certain things people can tell what they are, and if people can tell what they are without the label on, they're probably the people you want to be impressing about it. Maybe I don't know, but I'm I've always kind of been anti big labels on anything really. It looks it looks a bit crappy, I think, and it looks like that that you're not. They're not the kind of clothing that I would want to be wearing. Let's just say it's not really. But when you're saying about um, trainers, and we're talking about trainers earlier, they all do it. So all trainers have got a, a symbol on them that shows, you know, whether it's uh, Asiacs or, or New Balance or whatever. You're you're on every trainer. You're showing off that label, aren't you? Yeah. You know, I don't think this. I don't think apart from say like Crown Northampton or whatever, there's not a trainer brand out there that's not showing its label on the on the outside and jeans to an extent as well a lot of jeans um that will have the label at the back or a certain pocket design um but like say yeah if you're talking about say a submariner jumper it'll have a certain style but it won't say property of hms so and so on it will it you know or um uh, a guernsey jumper won't say knitted in Name me of a small village in Guernsey, you know. Guernsey small enough to say Guernsey, I think. Uh, yeah, you could, know. Could so, be the case that without the labels, these products would actually be essentially the same. Well, yes, that's, that's ultimately, isn't it? A hoodie with Gap written on, a hoodie with Benetton written on it, or a hoodie with Gucci written on it. That's still a hoodie that looks the same. It's just one's got a different word on the other one. Mm. And uh, sort of Burberry to an extent with their sort of signature. Um, Tartan, you know Nova Nova check, I think it's called on inside. Where in the seventies there was a, they, they they had another check for a while that when you people are trying to sell them on eBay, nobody buys them because they don't want them because they want the the classic Nova check. Another example being I had a a, a Montclair ski jacket yes. um, that was a kind of pale white color, not. I very rarely wore it, but it was a lovely made coat. I think it dated from probably about the early 80s um, and it had no exterior badging on it. So it had all the correct labelling and everything inside. It was authentic, but it had no badging apart from the um, something on the zipper. And I really, really struggled to sell it. Whereas there was people bidding hundreds of pounds for worse looking items in my mind, on eBay because it had the, the badge on the sleeve, you know. Um, and I think I struggled to get about 70 or 80 quid for that coat, whereas if it had, had the badge on the sleeve, I could probably have added another zero to it, you know. Um, and that kind of just set it home to me where I thought, wow, that, 
you know, people really do get, I mean, people are buying these items because they do care about showing off that badge. And again, you'd probably find with Stone Island, it's the same if I, if I started to dig and have a look. Yeah. Uh, well, Mon- Moncler and Stone Island are obviously the same company now. So. Are they? All oh, right. Moncler have just bought yeah. Stone Island. Right. Yeah. And again, they're like, again, a bit like Bell Staff, where it's been quite a small specialist concern um, making clothing for a specific sporting or, you know, um, some sort of pursuit, whether it's motorbiking or, um, you know, with Montclair with, with skiing wear, that somebody's just kind of picked up on that label and developed it as some sort of trendy trendy brand you know um barber suppose had that to an extent as well isn't it but it's gone from quite a well, barber hasn't changed uh hasn't changed ownership it's still f- owned by the barber family yeah but, but it's, it's not a niche family. item that it was yeah but the, it's a good point about bell stuff i have the same problem with stone island and cp company and the old massimo osti companies as well and i know mm. it's It'd be very unpopular for pointing this out, but I mean, he died 15 years ago. Yes, these companies are still basically trading on his name, his legacy. Yeah, and they've changed hands a few times. The designers have been changed out, and it's sort of hard to tell what is actually left of the old companies. Yeah, and I see there is a huge amount of collectors collecting. I think mainly the old stuff, yeah. uh-huh. but. This I was just in a shop here in town yesterday, and they had a whole range of new Stone Island stuff, both terrible up to fairly decent. And I'm just sort of wondering who's who's buying it now. Well, it seems to be seems to be still be sold and still be sold at a fairly high premium. So I, you know, there were some there's some great classic designs, and some of the older pieces were really very clever. And I, you know, I remember in my early twenties, first getting into fashion. And seeing some of the clever high-end design they were doing, which they don't seem to do now. That they 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 seem to do lots of bells and whistles and and clever stuff, but not for a design reason. Whereas before, they seemed to be designing stuff for a specific use. Does that make sense? Yeah, there was so, a and they, they took inspiration from, you know, items in general service. They you know lots of the military bits and pieces again. And develop them and use that technology in clothing. And now they seem to be just making puffer jackets and sort of sports jackets out of fabrics that are very odd, but not for any reason. I remember when they originally did a they did a cloth that was woven steel in it, but they did it for a specific reason. And there was a story and a design ethos behind that. Whereas now that bit's been lost, but they're still using all these fancy fabrics, but for no benefit other than the fact they're making a jacket that's fancy and showing off to your mates. Mm. I think the fact that pop stars like Drake uh, have found uh, found them today means that they are becoming popular among the teenagers. Mm. And uh, I was told in the shop I was in yesterday that they did they have some rather cheap looking cotton jumpers which they stocked for the for the teen market primarily because while they were sort of cheap cotton jumpers they did have the badge on the arm. I saw, I saw, actually saw a girl a little bit older than my son in town when I took him for a haircut last weekend before the whole lockdown started. In and she, you know, she was probably fourteen-ish, in a Stone Island Ghost Project jacket, and I was kind of like, 
I, I, is she wearing her dad's jacket? I didn't realize, and uh, you've just opened my eyes to the fact that it's becoming a new generation again. Because I was kind of, it was actually quite a nice jacket as well, and I was just slightly surprised this teenage girl who was wearing what a normal teenage girl seems to knock around in the southeast England, and she was, but had this quite high end stone end jacket on, and I was kind of like that. That took me back, and I, I, yeah. So that kind of explains it. Well, Stone Island ghost jackets are pretty expensive, I think. Yeah, no, that's why I, I was I was genuinely surprised if she was wearing a sort of six hundred quid jacket. Mm. The rest of her stuff was obviously kind of very top shop Tammy girl, and she was just knocking about, messing about in Smiggle with one of her mates. And I was kind of like, that's why I thought, is she wearing a dad's jacket? Have they become fashionable again? You know, I live in a fairly affluent area, so I'm sure their parents had enough money to buy her a jacket. But it just it just struck me as incongruous and not what you'd expect. But I guess they're finding a new generation of sales and it's not just ex-football hooligans and, and you know, men that want to be Liam Gallagher wearing it. So. Hmm. It's a good thing she didn't notice you were perving her jacket. No, no, I was, I was obviously very subtle and, and I, I just looked like a terrified beardy dad. I think, you know, <laughs> no teenage girl would notice me if I was there or not, to be honest. It's just like what you were saying there, Nick, about the, you know, putting the cotton jumpers out so they can buy something with that label on it that... I don't go into a lot of high-end stores now, but that was always a, a kind of, um, you know, my sort of background was shop layouts and, and how, how things go where and what, what things will sell where and what won't. That there was a real trend starting about the mid-90s where branded stuff. So, for instance, I'll give you an example, like DKMY used to have quite a lot of nice clothing, but what they would do at the front of their, their high-end stores is they would put their DKMY jeans, T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, jumpers, all at the front so people could come in and buy them. But as you move back into the store, you know, those that maybe wanted to buy nice clothing would find that clothing there as well. So it would almost like be two separate stores. The example always being is um, if you look at Harrods, if tourists go to Harrods, they go to the Harrods gift shop. So they can buy tea bags with the Harrods tin or uh, do, do you know what i mean or hampers with the harrods branding on it but the whole rest of the shop is there that they'll, they'll maybe not explore as much and that kind of ethos was was taken into store design um sometime about the mid 90s where the, if you had a brand like i'm just using dkny for an example that i used to use that you would get the an armani as well you would get the t-shirts and sweatshirts with the branding at the front of the store and then at the back of the store so it would almost like separate it um and i think that ethos is probably still there um that way of thinking where you're separating your customers so you know the customers might not want to buy a a dkmy jacket with no branding a lovely jacket at a few hundred quid at the back of the shop but they'll happily buy you know the t-shirt at 30 pounds or 40 pounds at the front well, if it's got a big logo on you're getting your money's worth, aren't you? Well, this is it, you know, and, and this is where a lot of these man, the, the brands are, are making their money, you know. They're making their money through selling cheap cotton T-shirts with a brand name on it. But does it cheapen the brand? You know? Who knows? I don't know. Perhaps. Okay, guys. Anything else? Or have, have we run our course? I think I'm okay. I've... No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Can't think of anything, Nick. So. Wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Anything, uh, any final words, John, Sean? Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you all and um, to all your listeners, Nick. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
And that concludes the bonus 35th episode of Garmology this year. I'd like to thank my co-hosts John Fowler, Sean Brown and Daki, aka Heavy John, these rough notes and rugged frills on Instagram. I am Nick Johannesson. You can find me on Instagram as Weldersdad. If you enjoyed this, you probably enjoy my blog as well. It's on weldersdad.com. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, the email address is garmology at welldressedad.com. I'd like to thank everyone for being so supportive of the podcast this year. It's uh, been quite wonderful to um, get all the feedback and wonderful reviews on uh, especially Apple Podcast. If you did enjoy this, I'd love it if you did leave a, a rating and a review. If you didn't enjoy it, don't bother. And um, Season 2 will be back early January. Got some great guests already recorded and some great ones yet to record. So um, stay tuned. And in closing, I'd like to wish you all a Merry Yule and a Happier New Year. Bye-bye.